So we have the privilege of our citywide prophet coming to preach tonight. Pastor Greg is responsible for the health of this team. Thank you, Greg. He ministers to all of us every Tuesday. And um, we're privileged to have him. He's going to be finishing our word series tonight. Can we give him a huge round of applause? Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesse. Um, who of you have been enjoying our word series so far? Yeah, we've received such great feedback, and we are so excited. And I just want to honor Pastor Siv from our service who really pushed and said, God is saying, do something about the word, and we preached it. So um, I just want to find out, how are you doing with your Bible reading plans? Okay, you don't have to put any hands up. <laughs> so here's a revelation I received uh, many years ago about Bible reading plans. The point of a Bible reading plan is to read the Bible. It's not to tick a block. Is that a revelation to you? <laughs> so I know what happens. You start reading, you're so excited, you're like, oh, Jesus, this is going to change my life. And then by day three, life has happened. <laughs> you wake up and you're three days behind. And then you're like, oh, my Lord. <laughs> and we just get ashamed and then we just give up. So what I want to encourage you to do, I use the blocks next door to remind, uh, next to my readings to remind me where I should start reading when I read again. Okay, so I want to encourage you, if you have stalled in your Bible reading plan, just pick it up again. Just make a fresh commitment every day, every week, every month. Just keep making that commitment to read your Bible. And so I hope as you've been sitting and listening to us preach uh, in the Word series that you are absolutely convinced of the power of God's Word, the power of God's Word to change our hearts, to change our lives, to change situations. I want to start off by playing a short video, and you guys can get ready with the sound and everything, but um, the lady speaking is a lady called Sarah Groves, and she's a Christian contemporary artist, and she got involved with a group that helped um, young women who were being trafficked as sex slaves to, to get free, to go home, to come out of that, that reality, and this is just a powerful testimony of how God's Word encourages hearts. Um, the Bible was forever changed for me uh, three years ago in Washington, D.C. I, I was at an event for International Justice Mission, and they had a young woman there, um, Elizabeth, who's 23 now, but at the time of this story, she was, um, she was 15 when she was uh, the oldest of seven children living in a Christian family. She wanted to go to Bible college and was in between her sophomore and junior year. Uh, she found out about a job in a neighboring community, but while she traveled to that job, she was abducted and taken into captivity in a brothel. It was uh, taken across um, the border into a country where she didn't speak the language. And this young woman of faith, um, hearing her story, you know, in her own words, um, she said, I just, all I knew to do is call out to God. And um, she asked, begged God to save her. And the girls even gathered around and mocked her. They said, God can't hear you in a place like this. I mean, it's, it, it was the Psalms, you know, happening in that moment as, as her enemies mocked her. And she said, still, I believed. And an IJM, International Justice Mission operative, came and found her there. And they, they did their investigation, rescued her that night. And, um, and when they went into Elizabeth's room, they found something that they had never seen before. Uh, in her little six-foot-by-eight-foot room written on the wall above her mattress was, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
And um, a friend of mine who works with IJAM had told me later, we, we asked Elizabeth if she would share that psalm as a part of her story, and, and she had said, no, that, that psalm really was for that time in the brothel. She said, I, I won't read that verse, but she said, I will read Psalm 34, which says, I sought the Lord and he heard my cry. That changed the whole gospel for me. I, I think that as an American Christian, I've taken a lot of these verses to be a sort of a figurative bondage, a figurative oppression. And now I can't read Isaiah the same way. There are people in literal bondage. And I am called to be a part of that, to be a part of that freedom. And um, uh, it's, it's just completely changed the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, this, this young woman taking hold of this, of this verse in such a real way. Isn't that powerful? I mean, can you imagine that in a situation like that, somebody wrote a Bible verse, and most probably a memory verse that she learned in Sunday school on a wall? And that that is what got her through that horrific, horrific situation. And I love that when they said, well, you give your testimony, you talk about that. She said, no. And then she gives God praise from his word because she knew what his promise was. And I think this is so apt because tonight we're going to talk about the power of declaration, of declaring the word of God. So will you, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We're going to be reading from verse 23 to 24. By the way, Mark chapter 11, 23 is our memory verse for this week. Um, some of you have really been learning the Bible. We're hearing great stories of how you are so quick to give your memory verse. That is awesome. Keep that up. Um, as we've started making a habit, won't you stand with me to honor the word, and I'll read it for you. Mark chapter 11, verse 23 to 24 says, Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into, sea, into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Whoever says to this mountain, whoever believes what he says, Words are powerful. Do you know that this entire universe was speaking, spoken, speaking, was spoken into being? Your very life was spoken into being. And the Bible talks a lot about the power of words. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I love the second verse, Proverbs 11 verse 11. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it will be overthrown. You are the upright tonight. You are the upright. What that scripture says is when you bless Johannesburg, she will be exalted. That when you choose to bless this fabulous, amazing, crazy, wild city, God can have her, his way in her. I'm not talking about the second part on purpose <laughs> because it says by the cursing, by the, what does it say exactly? It says by the mouth of the wicked, it will be overthrown. But you see, we are the upright and we have inside of us a creative ability to speak life into situations that when we see the challenges of the city and guys, we need to be aware of what's going on in our city we need to see the downside so that we know how to speak the upside. 
And when we see the challenges of the city, who are we? Are we those who complain and go, oh, yes, well, that's it, and we're all just going to hell in a handbasket? Or are we those who say, I don't know, English is strange, isn't it? <laughs> that's an ancient idiom. I have no idea where it comes from. But are we rather going to be those who say, God, we see the challenges of the city, but we see you exalted over her. We see you, you bigger than those challenges. And so what we can see from these two scriptures is that words have the power to create worlds. We can create worlds with our words. What are those worlds going to be? What are they going to be like? Now, I grew up in a Christian culture where we were taught to speak life, <laughs> But what sometimes happened was, is we got really very harshly rebuked for speaking death. So one example for me was, one day I had the audacity in a meeting to say, oh wow, I'm feeling a little sick and I think I might be getting a cold. And three people pointed at me and said, stop speaking death over your life. And I was like, oh my word, okay, okay. And so sometimes we can take this to a bit of an extreme. Okay, so now let me help you. There is absolutely a place in our faith, in our Christian walk, to recognize failings, flaws, to recognize fear and doubt and worry and anxiety, to, to recognize fear, as long as we do it before God. Just recognizing that there's a problem does not mean I'm speaking death over my life. Why? Because faith starts in the problem. If there isn't a problem, we don't need faith. If there isn't a lack, we don't need faith. If there isn't fear, we don't need faith. And so sometimes faith starts when we recognize, I don't have it all together. It isn't all working out. In fact, it sucks and it's horrible. And God, I need you now. That's when faith starts. And so when I was growing up, I had this fear that maybe somewhere in my life, I said something I spoke death over my life, but I can't remember it, and it might suddenly come on me in one moment. Can you see how silly that is? Speaking death over your life comes out of the belief system of your heart where you have bought into lies about yourself, about God, about the world. Speaking death over your life is that monologue that happens in our head continuously where we are telling ourselves that we are not good enough, where we are telling ourselves that actually God doesn't care as much as we would like him to, that maybe he loves everybody else in this room, that maybe he would climb up every, that song we were singing, he would climb up a mountain for every single other person, but not for me. That's speaking death over your life. As I was thinking about this point, remember when we spoke about meditation? Who thought, oh gosh, meditation sounds hard? Jesse, well done, the only honest person in the room. Um, <laughs> do you know that every single one of us are champion meditators? Look at the person next to you, go, you're a champion meditator. Now I see some of you are getting excited, but let me, let me make the point I'm trying to make. I've just been talking about speaking death over your life. The reason I know you and I are champion meditators is because I know that you got really worried this week about something. You got really anxious about something this month. 
Worry and anxiety are just meditating on fear and negativity. And we do it well. We imagine the worst outcome. We imagine how things are just going to fall apart and it's all going to go wrong. We are meditating when we do that. But we're meditating on fear and negativity. And this is why we need to know the Word of God. Because the Word of God gives us content that is full of life, full of hope. So yes, something might go wrong, but if I can train myself to start meditating on what the Word of God says about that situation, life is going to begin to flow into that situation. So next time you are worried, just remember, I'm meditating right now. All I need to do is switch the content of meditation from fear and negativity to life. So now, with lots of faith in your heart, look at the person next to you and say, you're a champion meditator. (laughs) Psalm 119 verse 14 says, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the meditation of our hearts, and what that is speaking about is that monologue in our head. You know, I realized a few years ago that the monologue in my head, every moment of my day, there would be this thing saying, oh, you're such an idiot. (laughs) You're such an idiot. (laughs) And I realized that I actually believed that. So when somebody said, Greg, will you preach on Sunday night? My mouth was saying, yes. The meditation of my heart was going, you're such an idiot. (laughs) And when I was preparing and hoping that I would be amazing, the meditation of my heart was going, you're such an idiot. Now, you all know exactly what I'm talking about. That's why Marsh is falling down in the front here. And every one of us has a meditation of our heart. But it is our responsibility to own that, get intentional about that, look it in the eye and say, no, no. And then find a scripture that says something different. So for me, what really helps me is just remembering how loved I am by God. What that's about is I might occasionally be an idiot. (laughs) Let me rephrase that. I might occasionally act like an idiot. See, I caught that, Marsha. I caught that. (laughs) I might occasionally act like an idiot, but God still loves me. And that means I can make right. That means I can apologize, I can fix it, and I can do better. Because I am not an idiot, and neither are you. And so, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. And what that's about is when my heart and my words begin to align with the Word of God, there is this amazing thing that happens. Heaven literally comes to earth through me. Who was here to hear Ntando speak about obeying the word last week? Let's give him a hand. I don't know where he is. We're clapping for you, Ntando. But he, you were all teasing him because he used this phrase, cognitive dissonance. And as I was preaching, I realized how true what he said was. I mean, I, while I was listening to him, it was absolutely true. But as I was preparing for this, I realized again the depth of the truth of this. It's almost like... When my words and my meditation of my heart are out of alignment, this happens. (laughs) When my words and the meditation of my heart align, it like creates a channel that opens up 
so heaven can come to earth through me. Some of you have got clogged channels. <laughs> I've had clogged channels just because of cognitive dissonance. Because I'm, as a Christian, I'm saying the right things, but my meditation isn't right. Bill Johnson had this beautiful revelation, and it's about prayer and declaration. He says this, when we pray and God provides, it's really easy. All we have to do, our only job is to give thanks. When you pray and God just gives it to you and answers, you just go, woo, thank you, Jesus, you're amazing. But sometimes when we pray, who knows that God answers with a promise? And we're not ex that excited about that. <laughs> let's, let's just be honest tonight. We are not speaking death. We are just being honest. God really likes honesty. So sometimes God answers with a promise, and we're like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> but the problem is, is we know what to do when we get the thing. We get thankful. But when we get a promise, we're not so sure what to do. So what Bill Johnson says is, when God answers our prayer with a promise, our job changes. We become a co-laborer with God. What do we have to do? Well, he's given the promise, and now we have to start declaring it back to him. We have to start declaring that promise. We have to turn that promise into a prophetic declaration. We need to speak out God's in intention over our lives. Isaiah 55, 11 says this, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. What the scripture is telling us is that God has already pre-decided that when he speaks, it will happen. So when he created the earth, that's exactly what happened. He'd already decided when I speak, things manifest. Let there be light. And there was light. So this is why we need to co-labor with him and speak it over our life. Whenever we declare a word that originated from the heart of the Father that carries his decree and approval, it will carry all the authority required to shift spiritual realms. What is the promise God has given you? Do you remember it? Did you write it down? <laughs> well done, front row, gold stars for all of you. <laughs> for the rest of us, we need to learn <laughs> to do that. As I was thinking about it, even during worship, I suddenly remembered, and I want to talk to you a little bit about prophecy, just to help you with some stuff, but about 28 years ago, a prophet came to the church, and I had an opportunity to be prophesied over. And this is the enemy, because he started like this. Well, I don't think I've ever had this image for a man. What did my meditation do? You're an idiot. <laughs> and the picture he got was my life as a flower, blooming and growing. And he said to me, you're trying to look for fruit, but your life hasn't even started growing yet. And then he gave me these beautiful words, these beautiful prophecies about where I would be one day and what I would be doing in the kingdom. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing because my meditation told me I was an idiot. 
But the one thing I got right, because in the, back in the day, we were taught to do this. We warred according to our prophecy. And so every time I remember, like in the beginning, because it's the only word I'd ever had like that, that I actually had it recorded and typed it out and stuck it on the wall and stuck it on the bathroom, um, was to, to every day, I literally prayed through that prophecy. I didn't understand most of it. <laughs> But I prayed it, and I asked God to do it, and I hoped against hope, because my meditation was still telling me, you're an idiot. And obviously, other words came, and there was stuff that started speaking more directly into the seasons of my life, the situation of my life. But every now and again, God would remind me of that word. Remember I said it was 28 years ago. About six years ago, that word started coming to pass word for word for word for word. And it blew me away. And I realized that part of the reason that was happening wasn't just because it was spoken, but because I'd actually applied time, warring over it, praying it back into my life, declaring it to God and to everybody. And when I was confused, I asked other people, what do you think this might mean? And they didn't always know. But I was declaring it to them. I was speaking about it all the time. This is what God has said to me. I had no idea how it was going to come to pass, but it took the journey and the ebb and flow of my life to prepare me to come to a place where God could do what he needed to do through that word. And so this is what I want to say to you about prophecy. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 20 to 21 says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. In this house, we are going after a prophetic culture, and we are unashamed about that. Prophecy is for the believer. It is not for the fivefold ministry or the top men of God or those people who blow in with a cloud of glory and, and scare everybody. It's meant for you and I. It is part of the believer's anointing that we can hear from God for ourselves first and foremost, and then we can hear for others. The, the rules of New Testament prophecy are three. Prophecy is for the common good, which means that when I prophesy, it is for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Anything else might not be prophecy. Strengthening, encouraging, comfort. That means that when you walk away from a prophetic intervention, you feel loved by God. You feel encouraged. You feel like you can do it, like there's hope. You feel strengthened. Wow, yes, it's tough right now, but God's with me, and I'm going to stick it out until the end. We feel comforted. We feel like mercy came to us. We feel like we might have blown it, but you know, God is our greatest cheerleader. I actually was writing out some prophecies for some people recently, and this phrase, just as I was typing, this phrase came, I'm your loudest cheerleader. I took it for myself. I was like, I'm giving it to that person, but I was like, God, yes, yes. That's one of the things I love about prophesying is when I prophesy to people, I actually get a glimpse of how God feels about me. But what it says here is, so that's the first bit, do not despise prophecy. We want it. We go after it. But then it says, test the word. Test everything. And all I want to say there is that we are human channels that God uses, Okay, but Paul writes and he says, he says about prophecy, it's like we're looking through a window that's shaded and opaque. We only know part, okay? Um, and because we're human, we're excited, we might not get everything 100% right. That's why those rules exist, 
So whatever I say to you, it has to be for strengthening and comfort. Ntando came up with, a, with an acronym SEC, Strengthening, Encouragement, Comfort. So recently in Ghana, when I went on mission in Ghana, um, I prophesied a lot. That was basically the reason they invited me to come, was to prophesy. And I could see people were like, didn't quite know what to do with me because I wasn't prophesying the way they were used to. But what was even more astounding was when I started asking them, so what's different? They said, you know things about us. <laughs> That's called a word of knowledge. I was talking to them for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. I was not talking for them to rebuke them, to correct them. I was not talking to them to direct them in their lives and in every decision they were going to make. And so as I was talking to people, one young woman was really distraught, and she came to me and she said, I'm, I'm an, I was an elder in a church, and it was going well and really going strong. Suddenly, the leaders are preaching heresy. And I couldn't get out of her exactly what, but she was really disturbed by this. And as we were talking, I said to her, listen, you, you need, she'd, she'd stepped out of the eldership as a protest against what was happening, but she's still a member of the church. And I said to her, why are you still a member of the church? This is not healthy for you. You are seeing what's God doing, and they are hell-bent, for lack of a better term, on going down this way. And she said this. She said, well, about five years ago, a prophet came, and he told me I'm very instrumental in this house. I said, what were the exact words he said? She said, no, I wrote it down. I'm very instrumental in this house. And she was making a fundamental mistake. Just because a prophet says it doesn't mean you have to do it. We test everything. And for her, as I took her through Scripture, I could show her, but here's the problem. This house is falling apart, <laughs> but you are meant for this house, the kingdom of God, because that's where your gifts are going to manifest. And so you have to be in a good seedbed for your gifts and your abilities to manifest. And so as a prophet and a pastor, I said to her, you need to find another church. It is as simple as that. Um, so why am I saying that? Prophecy must um, align with Scripture first and foremost. This is how we test the Word. It has to align with Scripture. And one of the examples we use all the time because it has been so misappropriated in the church, oh, the Lord told me I married the wrong woman, so I need to marry Jane over there. Uh-uh. No, no, no. Your wife might be frustrating right now, but she's the one you chose, and what the Word of God says is she's yours till the day you die. So you get back with her, and you figure it out. <laughs> That's right. So that is not the Word of God. Do you get what I'm saying? Prophecy has to align with the Word of God. What is prophecy for? This is what the Bible teaches us. For. It is for? Sick. There we go. Secondly, we test the word by the fact that does it confirm something in me? Does it confirm a desire, a dream, a decision, the ideas and thoughts I've been having that are already in my heart? So literally, if somebody comes to you and says, you're getting on a boat and going to minister to Chinese people and you hate Chinese food <laughs> and all you want to do is run like Jonah did, there's a good chance... <laughs> You know, don't get on a boat next week. <laughs> Test it. Maybe what they really heard was you've, you love Asia for some reason, but you also have a heart for missions. And maybe they're two unrelated realities. <laughs> you get to decide. Is it really Sweden you want to go to? Because raw fish just rocks your boat. 
You get to decide with God. Prophecy speaks to your potential. You could do this in God. You could be this in God. Will you? Will you agree? Will you let it happen? And then thirdly, we test the word by speaking to leaders and people close to us. And they can give us advice and see if if it's in agreement. So the end of this section is just to prove that words are powerful. That speaking word changes life. I can give you so many testimonies of prophecies I've given, of prophecies from our prophetic team who they've come back to me and told me testimonies. Literally about a month ago, Jesse and I prayed for a young woman, and she felt stuck. And we prophesied life. And there was this moment where I prophesied open doors. One of the biggest issues was finance. And I, by the Spirit of God, I said to her, finance is coming. You are going to be astounded at how it happens. The next week, she ran down the front. She looked completely different. She said, you won't believe it. I said, I kind of will. <laughs> she said, everything changed. Everything changed. Finances came. I, she was trying to tell me how it happened. I didn't care. I was just like, I knew God was going to do that because that's what he said. And so that is the power of declaration and of words. But now let's talk about the nitty-gritty. First and foremost, declaring the word of God is for me. We're very used to, in our African cultures especially, to declare against the enemy, to declare the success. Nothing wrong with that. But let's get to the nitty-gritty, as I said. Romans 10 verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of God. This is why we preach every single Sunday. Somewhere in the Bible, it actually talks about the foolishness of preaching, Jesse, that what you and I are doing is foolish. (laughs) But what it's saying is the foolishness of a of a broken man saved by Jesus standing up explaining Scripture to you is this, that as you hear it, faith arises in your heart. You start believing. You start realizing that what I'm saying actually can be applied to your life, and you start getting hope in your heart. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When the Word is spoken, when it is believed and received, the result is Faith, and here is the beauty of faith. Faith is what moves God. Your need doesn't move God. It moves him to compassion. But your faith moves him to change that situation. If need moved God, what would Joburg look like? But it's your and my faith in God, in his goodness, that is going to change the city. In Luke chapter 1, verse 38, when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and explains to her what God's will is for her life. Let's talk about a directive word. (laughs) But this is an angel speaking directly to her. She declares, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me. May your word to me be fulfilled. Some translations say, as you have said, Let it be done. (laughs) But I love this because what's happening there is that Mary is understanding. The word is spoken to her. Mary, you are going to bring forth the Messiah. But I'm a virgin. The spirit is going to come on you and you will conceive. She just believes in her simplicity of faith. She just believes and she just declares it back. I am your servant. What you have said to me, let it be done. And what, what 
And when we look at Mary's life after that, everything that she does is about aligning to that reality. And so the bottom line of declaring, of declaring things is that we are stirring faith in our own hearts. But he has that cognitive dissonance again. I can declare and declare and declare, but I don't have faith. I can declare and declare and declare, but I'm living by the meditation of my heart. And so nothing's happening, and now I'm just getting frustrated. The point of declaration is that I begin to realize, oh, I need to align my life to what I'm declaring. Oh, Lord, I'm not righteous in that thought. I'm not righteous in that attitude. Wow, Jesus. Yeah, I really want to be. Will you help me? And I make decisions to keep aligning to what I am declaring. God can only bless truth. He cannot bless anything that is contrary to his word. And so whatever we are declaring, we have to know that God has said that. Do you see how we test the word? Sometimes we declare things that we heard on a podcast or that somebody has said to us, and they sound good. And most of the time, they are good. But this is why you need to know what your Bible says. You need to be reading your Bible. And the two reasons for that is, is because sometimes I'm de- I have done this, where I've declared things, and then when I read the Scripture, I realize, oh, heck, that's actually what God said to Satan. <laughs> no, I don't want none of that. <laughs> But because it was taken out of, out of context and I, I didn't bother going looking, I got a little confused. So it's not just what it's saying, but it, what does it mean and what is the context? So if you can declare stuff, make sure you know what you're declaring. So first and foremost, declaring the word is for us. And then secondly, declaring the word is for my circumstances and the enemy. Matthew 4, verse 1 to 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) The, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was really hungry. And then, The enemy comes and does what he does to you and I. In our weakest moments, he comes and tempts our identity. Who are you if you were the son of God? Why are you hungry? You can just turn these stones into bread. And he could have, and he wouldn't have been hungry anymore. But what would have the consequence been for you and I? And Jesus is actually declaring scripture. Memory verses. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, where the prophet says to the Israelites, so the reason you've been wandering around the desert and you haven't had enough food is because I am teaching you that you cannot just live by bread alone. You have to live by the word of God. Can you see how Jesus knew what he was talking about and applying it very aptly to the situation? Secondly, Jesus... absolutely was submitted to God. He lived by every word of God. So do you see the alignment? He's not just rebuking the enemy. He's going, wait, hold on. I know who I am, and I know what my God says, and guess what, Satan? I'm actually obeying it. Here is the key verse to spiritual warfare. This verse will sort you out once and for all with spiritual warfare. It's James chapter 4, verse 7, and it says this, submit yourselves therefore to God, 
resist the devil, and he will flee. <laughs> hmm. That is it. That is spiritual warfare. And can you see that is exactly what Jesus is doing? The devil comes and lies. The devil comes and tries to manipulate just like he does to you and me. That is all the power he has. Jesus has stripped him of every power. All he has left is to whisper lies because that is who he is. He is the father of lies. And it's not even a power. It's just a stinking character trait of his. And Jesus is going, I am submitted to God. I live by every word he speaks. So I see your lies. That's all he did. He didn't rebuke him. Twice more it happens and Jesus does exactly the same thing. He submits to God. He resists the devil, and at the end of it, the devil flees. Now, we know it's ridiculous that when we want to eat a big, big piece of chocolate cake, that we we can rebuke the calories out of it as much as we want, but we know that when we eat it, all those calories, all the heart-clogging stuff is going to come into our bodies. (laughs) Yes, I've heard Marsha binding stuff, but we all know it's there. But there's this weird cognitive dissonance again in our faith that we think we can live in immorality, that we think we can live out of our selfish desires, where we think that we can just be as far from God's best for us as we want, and then because we stand on the word, we can declare that those consequences will not come to us. And the Bible says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. That is Galatians 6 verse 7. And I want to tell you that in my life, when I should have been doing um, spiritual warfare, which was when the lies attacked me, which was when the selfish desires for my own gratification came up in my soul, um, that is when I should have been doing spiritual warfare. But only when the consequences hit was I interested in actually going there. So let me tell you the kind of spiritual warfare you need to do if you didn't do it before the consequences. is to confess our sin, to throw us off on his mercy, and to let him bring us back into alignment with him. And he has a memory verse I learned when I was in standard eight and sin was troubling me all over. And it says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And can you see why lastly, declaration is for our circumstances and enemies? Because firstly, it is for us. And when we do it right, it aligns aligns our souls, our hearts, our thinking, our emotion, our attitudes, our actions to the will of God. And then we are submitted to him. And then whatever the enemy brings our way, we can see it for the lie it is. Resist him and watch him flee. And there is one powerful declaration every single one of us has to make if we want to live a life in agreement with God. Romans 10 verse 9 says, this is the word of faith we are proclaiming. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And remember what we said about Isaiah 55 verse 11 
that God has already decided that what He says shall come to pass. And what He says is if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that He is Lord and Savior, you will be saved. And so I want to ask if there are any of you here who feel like you haven't really made that declaration yet. You haven't said out loud to yourself, to Him, with maybe one or two other people listening, you are my Lord, and I'm trusting you for salvation. We want to just give you an opportunity tonight. If that's you, don't be shy, don't be scared. Every one of us have done this. I was thinking this week about the fact that Jesus died publicly, naked, with all his blood dripping out of him to save us. Can we publicly acknowledge him as Lord and Savior? And so there is no shame here and there's no pressure. But if you feel like you would like to make that declaration tonight, won't you pop out of your seat and come down? Just want to give you that opportunity to do that. If you feel like maybe you have made that declaration, but you haven't aligned your life to it, come up and make it again. And trust that this time, trust that this time, it will stick. Don't want to rush past this. I'm so grateful for people who gave me an opportunity 30 years ago <laughs> to do this. My life was forever changed. Father, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the power of your word. God, may we want to repent for where we've misused declaration. We want to repent for where we felt like we could just magically chant things and then life would be okay, God. We want to repent for where we haven't let faith grow in our hearts as we've declared the word, Lord. And Father, we ask you tonight to bring fresh faith, fresh hope, fresh expectation into our lives. God, we ask that from today, God, we will declare the word with power and might and authority that we might align with your truth, that we might see our circumstances change. God, we commit that we will submit to you, we will resist the enemy, and we will watch him flee. And we pray for grace to get really, really good at that. In Jesus' name, amen.